You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. It's Tuesday, April 28th, and today... As you're listening to the Savage Lovecast, which you listen to every Tuesday, the Supreme Court of the United States is hearing arguments in a challenge to state bans on same-sex marriage that could result in legal same-sex marriage coming to all 50 states. Uh, it's legal in 37 states right now and some states are digging in. Alabama, fuck you. But we've got it in 37 states. We could get it in 50 and we are really – this is it. It's really down to the wire right now. This is a huge and hugely important day in the struggle for LGBT civil equality. And I want to thank everyone who's brought us to this point. Mary Bonotto, Roberta Kaplan, Evan Wolfson, Lambda Legal, Freedom to Marry, Andrew Sullivan, John Corvino, EJ Graff, writers, lawyers. We wouldn't be anywhere without our lovely lawyers. All fighting over the last 30 years to do what we were told was impossible, to legalize same-sex marriage in the United States. And it's exciting. But it's not what I'm going to talk about at the top of the show today. There's going to be plenty of time to talk about this because the Supreme Court isn't going to issue a decision today. They're just going to hear arguments and then we're going to hear a lot of arguments about those arguments over the next few months while the Supreme Court makes up its mind. And we will find out in June. The Supreme Court releases most of its major and most of its most important decisions in late June, which means we will probably find out at Pride. It's going to make for a great pride or a not-so-great pride. We'll see. What I'm going to talk about at the top of today's show, of course, is Bruce Jenner, who came out in a really uh, very well-done interview on ABC News last Friday night, uh, conducted by Diane Sawyer. Uh, Kudos to Diane Sawyer and her whole team who put that special together. It was so much less exploitative and sensationalistic than I think a lot of us in LGBT land feared it might be, considering... Network news, considering the Kardashian connection, considering all of it, it was just sensitive and smart and a terrific primer or primer, I'm never sure how to pronounce that word, on uh, trans issues. And as uh, I believe Jenny Boylan pointed out on CNN later, now America knows they know someone who's trans. 70, 80% of all Americans know someone who's gay or lesbian or bisexual. Uh, they always knew us. People always knew gay, lesbian, and bisexual people. They just didn't know they knew them because most gay, lesbian, and bi people weren't out. But now most of us are and people know us and that has created this sea change in public attitude towards LGB civil equality. But most Americans, only 7% of Americans, know somebody who's trans. And what Bruce Jenner accomplished that night was Bruce Jenner, who's been a pop culture figure for 40 years became the trans person that most Americans now know. He put a face on these issues. Yes, I called him he. Because, as Glad has pointed out, that is the pronoun that Bruce Jenner, who also still is going by Bruce Jenner, would like us to use for the time being. He's not yet let us know what his pronoun preference is, but for the moment, it's he. And this this caused a lot of trouble on Twitter, right? Caused... Not just me, but a lot of people trouble because the Twitter thought police were out in force after the interview, scalding and burning and throwing up on and blowing up at anybody who called Bruce Jenner he, him, his, 
in the wake of his coming out as trans. And he did. He came out as trans. And the interview, that wasn't the only problem in that interview for people who wanted to address this issue appropriately and sensitively in its wake. Because not only did Bruce Jenner come out as trans and then request that people continue to use a masculine pronoun for the time being, here's what Glad had to say about it. At this time, Bruce Jenner has not requested that a new name or pronoun be used. Therefore, we are respecting his wishes and will continue to refer to Jenner by his current name and with male pronouns. Glad has trans people on the board. Glad is exquisitely sensitive to trans issues. And here's Glad saying we're to call Bruce him his use masculine pronouns call him bruce for now until we hear from bruce about what bruce wants that wasn't the only mindfuck that bruce jenner treated us to uh, in the wake of his interview he also had this to say jenner has never been sexually attracted to men and he wanted to make that clear to viewers that gender identity and sexual identity were separate things reported the associated press i am not gay jenner said who just come out as a woman remember I am, as far as I know, heterosexual. I've always been with a woman raising kids. So Jenner comes out as a woman and then insists that he's not a homosexual because he's a woman who's always been in relationships with other women. Having a hard time figuring out how to address that particular wrinkle in the interview. Also, at the end of the interview, toward the end of the interview, Bruce Jenner came out as a conservative Republican. And slightly teabaggy, actually, where he cited the Constitution, that he values the Constitution. That's why he's a conservative Republican. I heard from a trans friend that said that sounds kind of like teabagger shit, which is ironic. You know, I'm a Republican and I'm a conservative Republican because I love the Constitution as if liberals and progressives in the Supreme Court today are not citing the 14th Amendment of our beloved and lovely Constitution as an argument for legalizing same-sex marriage because it is constitutional. 14th Amendment, equal protection under the laws for all citizens. LGBT Americans are citizens deserving of equal protections under the law because of the Constitution. We liberals, we like the Constitution too. So loving the Constitution is not enough. It's not an argument enough to say to distinguish yourself from other people politically. We all love the Constitution, right? And that kind of blew my mind. Like this interview was great. It was so great. And yet these three landmines that Bruce Jenner set in the pads of everyone who wants to talk about his coming out as trans and the issues that it raises, the pronoun thing, which excites so many people on Twitter. I had people blowing up at me on Twitter for using masculine pronouns and I, would, I kept sending them the links to the glad statements and what Bruce wanted and then they would blow up at me some more and other people. I saw trans people blowing up at trans people for misgendering Bruce. So there's that landmine. Then there's a landmine of Bruce Jenner is a woman who's only ever had relationships with women. Therefore, he's not gay. And then this, he's a conservative Republican. We have been talking on this show for a long time about what conservative Republicans are doing all across the country to trans people. These anti-trans bathroom bills that make the world a much more dangerous place than it already is for trans women in particular because they frame trans women – Frame in both senses, you know, frame for a crime but also kind of create a, a, a frame culturally as a discussion. They, they frame the conversation around this assumption that trans women are sexual predators who are sneaking into women's restrooms to assault women or just get off on peeing next to women. And this, this fuels a lot of anti-trans violence, this sense that trans women are dangerous sexual predators, which they are not. 
who are cisgendered women attacked by routinely and regularly cisgendered straight guys. And it's typically cisgendered straight male politicians who are pointing a finger at trans women and saying, oh, look, there are the real baddies, those women over there. Worry about them. And so it seems to me now that Bruce Jenner is out as trans. We've been through in the Republican – we've talked about this too. We've been through in the Republican nomination contest for president all of the candidates being asked whether or not they would go to a gay wedding. And that was really interesting to watch because most of them said they would not. A few said they would go to the reception. But we went through that. Like all the Republican candidates had to go on the record about gay weddings and whether they would attend. Now, now it seems to me that the legitimate – Question: A legitimate question that should be put to all these right-wing batshit nutbags who are running for president is where Bruce Jenner, their fellow Republican, should pee. It's an entirely legitimate question because the person who gets the nomination, particularly if that person wins the election, but if they get the nomination, they become the de facto leader of the Republican Party and look around the country. Who's pushing these anti-trans toilet bills all over the country that is making an already dangerous world for trans women even less safe? Republicans. So the de facto leader of the Republican Party and the people auditioning to be the leader of the Republican Party should have to be asked that question, should have to answer for that. That's a Republican policy position that's being pushed by Republicans all over the country. So Marco Rubio, where should Bruce Jenner go to the bathroom on his way to vote for you if he ends up voting for you? Jeb Bush, where should Bruce Jenner go to the bathroom? Ted Cruz, where should Bruce Jenner go to the bathroom? These are questions. I know there's a lot of political reporters out there and campaign reporters who listen to my show. I'm talking to you guys and gals specifically right now. You can legitimately ask Ted Cruz, Rick Santorum, Mike Huckabee, Rand Paul, all of them, where should Bruce Jenner pee now that he's out as a trans woman who is – not a homosexual who has only relationships with other women and please use masculine pronouns for now. Where should he pee? Marco Rubio. We have a right to know where all you right-wing Republican assholes running for president stand on where Bruce should sit. All right. Coming up today on the podcast, we have the right Reverend Eugene Robinson here to answer a question. It's not every day that we have an Episcopal bishop on the Lovecast, but today is that day. Also on the Magnum, we have a rabbi. We're having a very religious program today. We are going to come to Jesus with Reverend Gene, and then we're going to run from Jesus with Rabbi Jeremy. Today on the Lovecast, after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. When you shop at adamandeve.com, you'll get 10 free gifts with your order, including free shipping. Go to adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by Smart Mouth Activated Mouthwash. Smart Mouth blocks bad breath for 12 hours. Get Smart Mouth at your local drugstore and keep your breath fresh. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old straight woman. I've been in a relationship for a little over two years now, um, and he's awesome. I love him so much. I've never had sex with a woman. Um, I've always only been with men, but I find myself when I masturbate, it's always to lesbian sex. Which isn't often since our sex life is pretty good and we have sex like 
two or three times a week. But it's just so weird because I don't really have any desire to be with a woman. It's just remember by myself, that's always my, like, go-to thing. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that or, like, I don't know. I don't want to break up with my boyfriend and, you know, risk it all to just have sex with a woman. But I'm, like, sort of curious. I just don't, I don't know, but I don't want to ruin anything with him. My only thought is you shouldn't necessarily have to break up with your boyfriend to have sex with a woman if indeed you want to have sex with a woman at all. There are tons of complete total dykes out there who like watching gay porn. They're pretty vocal about it too. It's not something that lesbian gay porn aficionados are shy about sharing with the world. And, you know, there's a conflict there, but it's not necessarily a conflict that you are obligated to resolve. This is just a wrinkle or quirk in your sexuality. There's something about dyke porn or lesbian fantasies that cranks you up, but you're totally satisfied with your boyfriend and you are straight identified and perhaps you are even straight just like those lesbians who watch gay porn are actually lesbians but something about this just plugs in for some reason now you can spend the rest of your life trying to tease out what that reason is you can rationalize you can look back into your childhood or all of your life experience to try to uh, to pinpoint that pivotal moment or experience or stimuli or whatever it was that just snapped your erotic imagination onto this and what a waste of time that will all be all of that effort and for what you will still be turned on by lesbian porn. You will still be sitting on your boyfriend's dick. And again, you know, there are a lot of boyfriends out there who are not necessarily opposed to their girlfriends getting it on once or twice in their presence in a girl-girl-boy three-way with another woman. So you can have your fantasies. You can have your boyfriend. And hopefully you can have an open, honest conversation with your boyfriend about your fantasies, about lesbian porn, about these thoughts. And who knows? Perhaps one day you'll be able to have the boyfriend and have the same-sex sexual experience as well. Hi, Dan Savage and the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth. Um, had a question um, about the etiquette of straight people at Pride. This weekend, Pride is in Phoenix, and I was thinking about going with some friends. We're all straight. Um, I went to Pride in Sydney, Australia, back in 2009 when I was young and didn't really understand or the depth of it. Just curious as, as to what you think, you know, as the straight person going to Pride, what should be the etiquette and what we should do? Don't eat the pussy at Pride. It's not for you. Unless it's by pussy, in which case, go crazy. You don't have to worry. Pride is something that, you know, Pride Parade, particularly the Sydney Mardi Gras Pride Parade, which I've been to and I loved, it is in many ways a manifestation of queer people in the streets making themselves visible not to each other but to straight people making themselves visible to a straight culture and a straight world that for most of recorded human history wanted to pretend that we did not exist. So your presence as a straight person at Pride is not an intrusion. It isn't a violation. It is partly and largely the point of Pride is for straight people to see us for who we are and for also us to see each other and to have that day where we are in the streets and the majority, right? And when we are in the streets and we are the majority, we don't start straight bashing people. We don't get our revenge on all the gay bashers who, when straight people are in the majority and all over the streets, occasionally bash us. You are not going to be bashed. You're not going to be straight bashed. You may even get laid because bisexual ladies are a big part of pride. The only thing you really don't have to do is walk up to everyone you meet and announce loudly that you're straight. If you are straight and you are at pride – 
You are at the festival afterwards. You're on the streets during it. Someone may assume that you are gay. You may be perceived to be gay if that makes you really uncomfortable. So uncomfortable you have to wear a great big straight but not narrow T-shirt to make sure everybody knows that you're not one of them or us. Maybe you should stay home. But if you're just there to have fun and to see it and to participate in that queer visibility thing by looking at us, which is what visibility is all about, then you're golden. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Go to Pride. Have a blast. Also, one of the tech savvy at risk youth just slid me a note saying, Pride is a good place to meet cool straight women. Yes, it is. It is. There are lots of cool straight women with their gay male friends at Pride. And I think it's really important and I don't want to get woo-woo on all of you about what the gay rights movement uh, means to straight people or the LGBT civil rights movement means to straight people. But I actually do think that it means something to straight people and it can change straight people. It has really changed the lives of a lot of straight people too because when you go to Pride, whether you're a queer person or a straight person, here's what you see. You see the Dykes on Bikes. You see the queer Christian organizations. You see the leather guys. You see the drag queens. You see the twinks shaking it on flatbed trucks, blasting dance music. You see the middle-aged, regular roly-poly queers. You see the gay dads and uh, lesbian moms and their families. What you see is a million different ways to be queer. And I think the message in Pride for straight people and why I think straight people should go to Pride is that there should be more than one way to be a straight person too, right? That there is a script that's written for straight people about how you're supposed to live your life and who you're supposed to be. And that script is confining and, and stultifying and restricting and it's no fun. And straight people need to break out of that. And I think what a lot of straight people, whether they can articulate it or not, what they leave pride with after that first time is, wow, there's so many ways to be queer. Maybe I can conceive of perhaps – a different way to be straight. Like we do here at the Savage Lovecast, Adam and Eve want you to have the best sex life ever. When you buy something at Adam and Eve, they'll send you a sexy surprise for women, a specially selected toy for men, and a little something that works for anyone. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD and free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new sex toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything else you desire. Enter offer code SAVAGE at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go to adamandeve.com today, select one item, and get 10 free gifts, including shipping, when you enter offer code SAVAGE. That's S-A-V-A-G-E at adamandeve.com. Hey, Dan. I'm a new listener from the Midwest, early 40s, married to my wife for around 20 years. I started watching porn in my early teens, like a lot of people. My earliest viewing was some very innocuous 70s, 80s stuff that was extremely vanilla. Most of it ended with a blowjob and a facial. None of this stuff seemed to be the least bit misogynistic. Those early experiences with porn created a certain romance in my head with blowjobs and facials. And why not? Those women seemed to innocently love the pleasure they were giving. None of it seemed miserable or hateful or horrible. It really seemed hot and beautiful, honestly. I mean, that's the way I perceived it. That's the way I held on to it in my head. Well, I just took a college course about women and sexuality. I read books. I watched countless videos. And it seems like everything I've heard, both inside and outside of the college classroom, is that facials are perceived to be this horrible misogynistic thing. It's demeaning. It's degrading. And 
even my wife feels this way. When I brought it up, she acts like I want to commit some kind of spousal abuse. And that's just not the case. But the result is that this fantasy of mine is stuck in my head, and I can't let it out. Yet it's a core part of my sexuality. It's not like she won't give blowjobs, but when I come, she doesn't embrace that moment. It's more like she'd rather run screaming into the night. The fact that it's a turnoff for her ends up being a huge turnoff for me too. And it's, I don't know, it kind of makes an orgasm a bummer. Now, granted, an orgasm is like pizza, right? Even when it's bad, it's still pretty damn good. So maybe I shouldn't be complaining. I want to say, I don't hate women. I've seen plenty of porn and I hate that stuff where the girls do oral and they're clearly miserable, gagging, choking, puking, whatever else. Those facials are degrading. I don't watch any of that stuff. All I want is happy porn and a happy sex life with my beautiful wife. I don't want her to think I'm some kind of a creep. I want to believe when I'm coming that she's thrilled and turned on and not disgusted. I want her to embrace that moment. And in my head, that means a facial. I recognize that I'm the product of the porn that I watched all those years ago, and it is what it is. I'm not an asshole. I don't hate women. I certainly don't want to degrade my wife. And there you have it, Dan. Am I totally screwed? What do I do? I was asked once in front of a large crowd whether facials were sexy or degrading, and my answer was yes. Uh, Sometimes those things go together. Some people eroticize degradation. I don't think facials are always degrading. And to the ladies out there who object to facials because splurt splurt in the face, you know, what is cunnilingus but a slow-mo facial? It's the application of bodily secretions, of genital secretions, of things that come out of your genitals, but just very slowly painted on one thin layer at a time. But he comes up out of your crotch covered in your juices. It's just that his dick makes the juice all in one go, right? The application process is more its more Jackson Pollock in his case than Georgia O'Keeffe, right? It's a big splat on the canvas as opposed to oils very carefully and deliberately applied. So for me as an observer from outside but also as a cocksucker who has been on the receiving end of that splat, which I don't experience as particularly degrading, I kind of – don't understand the the hang-up. But I get it. You know, heterosexual sex, men and women together, I disapprove. But whatever you people want to do, it does exist in a context of millennia, uh, tens of thousands of years of sexism and the degradation of women and male dominance and control. And it's really hard to tease out that sort of explosive water pistol gun-shaped thing going off in your face from all of that crap. But I think it can be done. And I think you, caller, it sounds like you've done it, that all those years you were watching facial porn and not violent, degrading, choking, gagging, salivating porn uh, that ended in a facial, but like happy to be sucking this dick porn, which you see a lot more of in gay porn. You see a lot more, I am so happy to be sucking this dick, and now this dick is blowing a load all over my face, and I'm so happy about that. You see that play out, I think, more in guy-on-guy porn, which is entirely divorced from this millennia of sexist domination and control and the degradation of women and this fear of women's sexuality, right? And this male desire to assert ownership. But some people eroticize all of that. Some women eroticize all of those feelings. You know, we eroticize sometimes our our biggest fears and cultural kind of nightmares. 
So there are women out there who can step into that role, uh, step into you know degradation and male dominance and female submission and wallow in it and get what they want out of it, which is that supercharged orgasm, and then jump back the fuck out of it and live as equals and not feel at all honestly and truly degraded or diminished by the eroticized degradation that they were able to, in an empowered way, enjoy. Maybe your wife isn't one of those women. Maybe for her, she's not able to experience that without walking away from that eroticized degradation without feeling, honest to God, degraded and diminished. And if she's that way, if she can't compartmentalize in that way, if she's not wired in a way where she compartmentalize it in that way and take pleasure from it, that's her own pleasure and independent of your pleasure, then maybe this isn't something you get to do with the wife. I've always argued that your job as the blow-er is over when the blow-e is coming. You have pushed them over the falls. They are ejaculating. And where the cum goes is kind of up to you. You don't have to swallow. You can point the dick over your shoulder. You can let it hit the pillow. You can let it run in and out of your mouth. You can have a facial or not. Really, I do think that as both a blowjob giver and blowjob receiver, that it's up to the blowjob giver at that moment. That's the end of the blowjob is your orgasm. Where your cum goes, what happens to your cum, whether it's ingested or not, I think that is the blower's call. So if your wife isn't down with it, you're going to have to live without it. But there are lots of women who are down with it. And I don't think in every case where you see in porn or in reality, not that we, you know, walking down the street see this very often, but I don't think in every case where someone is being treated to a facial, when a daddy loves a mommy very much and they get very close uh, and that happens, I don't think that that is always experienced as either erotic degradation or actual degradation. For some people, it's just the fun end of a blowjob. And for some people, it's the fun eroticized degradation that they don't carry then out into their real non I'm having sex right now life. So I don't think we should stamp facials with not okay, always degrading because often okay, sometimes erotically degrading, not actually degrading. We have to judge it on a case by case basis and leave it up to the two individuals and their genitals and faces who happen to be involved. But ladies, again, cunnilingus, it's a facial. It's just a very slow-mo facial. But it's a facial. You know what his face looks like when he pulls it up out of your crotch? Looks a little bit like yours does about 20 seconds after he comes on you. We want to thank our sponsor, Smart Mouth Mouthwash. Smart Mouth chose our show to advertise on because they know that we are committed to getting our listeners laid. And getting laid usually starts with a ton of kissing. And you don't want bad breath. Fortunately, Smart Mouth Mouthwash blocks bad breath for a full 12 hours. So you're ready to go whenever. And smart mouth can even prevent morning breath when you rinse at night, just in case you're waking up next to someone. Most other mouthwashes only last an hour or so, but smart mouth can go all day and all night. Just mix two solutions before rinsing twice a day to activate powerful bad breath blockers. That's the secret to the longest lasting fresh breath out there. Don't get breath blocked. Get smart mouth and get fresh with 12 hours of fresh, clean breath. Find smart mouth activated mouthwash in the shiny green bottles at CVS Pharmacy or anywhere you shop or at smartmouth.com. Hey, Dan. Uh, I've been having a problem with my boyfriend lately. Uh, he has HIV, and um, we've been together for just over a year and a half. And uh, the first half of our relationship, 
uh, wasn't long distance. We attended college together, but we fight so much. Like we have huge domestic violence issues, but we actually love each other. That's the thing. It's crazy. But um, since we've been long distance, I work a job and, you know, I get paid pretty well and um, I'll send him money. And the day that I send him money, he'll talk to me that day and maybe a couple of days later. But then he just stops communicating with me completely. And this leads me to, um, I've created a fake Facebook page and a fake Instagram page. And I disclose his HIV status, which I know is horrible. Um, and, you know, everybody's on Facebook and Instagram nowadays. And it gets a lot of traffic, a lot of traffic. I know I'm you know, demeaning his character and all that. But what's the best way to get over him? Because I love him so much. I can't think about anything but him. And, you know, it's just become a really difficult not to do these things. I know what I do is very bad, disclosing his HIV status and, you know, all of that. But I think him not talking to me is even worse. Uh, should I just break up with him? You know, given that we've uh, had so many domestic violence issues, we've been to court a couple of times, actually, um, behind this mess. Uh, I, and I can't, I don't want any other guy. I don't, you know, I don't have the capacity to, you know, I don't have the sexual capacity to be with another guy. When I'm with another guy, my dick won't even get hard because I'm thinking about him. Um, I, you, you know, you would almost think that it's an obsession kind of, but you know, what's the best way to get over him? I've tried therapy and all that, but it's not working. And I really, really, really need to get over this guy. I'm posting stuff on Facebook right now as we speak. And, you know, a lot of people are saying things. They're calling his dad's phone. They're calling his phone. Uh, and I don't want to do that. I just want to get over him, but I, I, I seriously can. And I know it's the relationship is bad for me and all that. I just don't know what to do at this point. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is never jealous or boastful or rude or proud. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. That's from the Bible. It's not, it takes a lot to get me to crack open a Bible and start reading verses aloud on America's Filthiest Podcast. But you did it. You got me there, caller. Whatever you feel for this guy, whatever you're experiencing, it isn't love and it isn't passion. It is a kind of rage and hatred. It is destructive. It is evil what you are doing. It is evil. And you need to stop. You need to end this relationship. You need to stop sending this person money. You need to pull down that Facebook page. You need to pull down that Instagram account. You need to get your ass to a therapist. You say you went to therapy and it didn't help. Get to a different, another therapist. Sometimes you need a second opinion. Therapy, counseling, it depends upon, you know, a certain alchemy between the person being counseled and the person doing the counseling. If you go to one person and it's not sparking, it's not working, that doesn't mean that therapy or counseling can't work for you. It just may mean that you went to the wrong counselor, that you two didn't click, that that person didn't work for you, but some other counselor or therapist could work for you. And you need help, sir. The relationship that you have is one of, it sounds like, mutual interdependence, but an imbalance of viciousness and anger and hate and abuse. You are abusing him and you need to stop. And what you are doing is actually criminal in many states. Fake Facebook pages, fake Instagram accounts. It's a kind of online harassment slash stalking. 
that could get you into a lot of trouble. For So just for your own self-interest, you need to knock this shit the fuck off. And you need to stop labeling your feelings for this person with love, as love. You, can't, you, you, are, you are not allowed to use that descriptor because this is not love. This is an unhealthy obsession, this attachment, this compulsion that you feel, that you're experiencing. And this lashing out to punish this person. Stop it. I, I can't reach through the headphones. I can't reach through your earbuds and grab you and shake you. I wish I could. Just listening to your call, I wanted to go take a shower after it was done. I ached for him. Whatever wrongs he's committed, he doesn't deserve this treatment. And there is no way to make this work, right? Stop fucking other people. Stop having sex at all right now. You're in a very desperately unhealthy, sick place. And you need to claw your way out of that place before you inflict yourself and your current condition on anyone else. Get thee to a therapist. Go. A different one. Another one. If that doesn't work, find another, another one. Get help. Glad you called. But get help. And you need help that I can't give you over the phone and through your earbuds. Hi, Dan. I'm the tech savvy at Rescue. I'm a longtime Magnum listener. I'm a hetero mom of four boys living in the shitty, shitty Midwest, trying to make it a little less shitty. Um, two of my boys are from my previous marriage, the older ones, and two are from my current marriage. The second kid goes to church with his ex, my ex's parents, who are shitty, fundy Christian types, and they started aggressively targeting him for their beliefs because my first kid came out as an atheist last year. We have a secular household, as does their dad, and so I had never worried too much about the rabid Christian influence because I thought I could temper it. Like, I read them Bible stories alongside Greek and Roman mythology when they were little. Um, but son number two, who is now 10, says he believes this stuff and also believes, therefore, that gay is bad, sinful, against God, makes God a liar. Yeah, he came up with that on his own. I've tried pointing out all the other nonsensical Bible no-nos that nobody pays attention to anymore, but so far, no luck. So what do I do? I've made sure he understands his beliefs don't give him the right to discriminate against others or treat them any differently, but it just really pisses me off that he believes this horseshit in the first place. How do I reason this out with a kid? We have a really sex-positive household. He's not uninformed about sex. We've talked extensively about how human relationships come in lots of different valid configurations, but I just don't know that he's quite ready for details. Should I let this be until he's older? Do I just keep insisting that his beliefs not affect his interactions with other people, or do I keep trying to talk him out of it? I don't feel like refusing to let him see the shitty grandparents is helpful in any way, but I don't know what else to do. We don't have any gay friends close that can help me out with this. Uh, my little sister is gay but doesn't live close, so she's no help. What do you do when your kid is a homophobe? Joining me by phone to help answer this question, the Right Reverend Gene Robinson. He is a retired Episcopal Bishop of New Hampshire, now working as a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, a Washington, D.C. think tank. He's also a friend of mine, and I'm a little in awe. I'm, I'm a little flabbergasted. We've never had uh, an Episcopal Bishop come on the Savage Lovecast to field a question before. And thank you, Gene, so much for being the first, and hopefully not the last. I love being the first because 
I love everything that you do and, and the things that you say. So I love joining you here. So thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I love you and I love everything that you do and say as well. So Mutual Appreciation Society convened <laughs> and meeting concluded. Now let's get to this woman's question. What do you do when your kid is a homophobe? You argue with a lot of people who are homophobes. It's my job in some ways. It's your job in many ways. But you you have conversations with many, many religious people who haven't been able to work their way out of that homophobic corner that so many people of faith have trapped themselves in. But how do you argue that with a 10-year-old? What would you say to this mother? What would your advice to her be? Well, this may not be what the caller wants to hear, but I um, – I would say that the problem here is with the mother more than with the child. Uh, this is a this is a ten year old, right? Mm-hmm. And she's got a few years left in which not only um, uh, may she, but she really ought to be uh, guiding this youngster. Uh, first of all, I, I would say that it is not true that any religion is better than no religion. I, I think there are some people who think that, and perhaps um, she thinks it's not a big deal to have her um, um, ex-husband's uh, grand, um, parents take, take this kid to school, uh, uh, to Sunday school and to, and to church. But look, every denomination, every religion, uh, frankly, offers a different view of God. And some of those views of God are alarming, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the Roman Catholics who, who teach that people like you and me are intrinsically disordered, all the way to the other end of of, uh, you know, to the Westboro Baptist Church, God hates that. And, and frankly, what this kid is learning in the church that he's being brought to is just a kinder, gentler purveyor of the same message that, that there's, uh, that, that we are damaged goods and worthy of, of judgment and mistreatment. So I, you know, I would challenge her when she says, um, you know, I don't think uh, stopping him from going with them uh, um, will do much. Well, I, you know, I, I would, I would encourage her to rethink that. So, so your advice would be to uh, refuse to allow him to hang out with his paternal grandparents if they continue to take him to this church because it's damaging him. Yeah. So, I, I don't think it's uh, a bad thing, and she probably uh, can't stop it anyway. To um, to have this kid obviously know his grandparents, but having allowing them to take him to a church that's teaching him these things, um, uh, I find troublesome. I mean, uh, she's a good mom. She wouldn't let her spend time for food or uh, go to an R-rated movie until he's older. Um, so why would she allow him to go to a church that's going to teach him uh, you know, exclusivity rather than inclusivity. Well, probably and, she, she's allowing it to happen because she doesn't want to go to war with her husband's or her ex-husband's parents, right? Right. That, that this is going to create conflict if she goes to them and says, you may not take him, I object. She could go to court. She could prevent this. You know, if the, hus- if the ex-husband insists that he wants his kid to go to this church with his parents, this could wind up being something that they have to hammer out the, the disagreement in front of a judge. They have to come to terms in front of a judge. Is that worth it? It might be, actually. Um, I mean, I think there are worse things. It, it depends on how strongly she feels about this. I mean, I would certainly try to go the non-combative route uh, of sitting down and saying, you know, I, I just feel really uncomfortable with with what this 10-year-old is, is learning when he goes uh, to church with them. And is there is there some other way that we could 
uh, uh, work this out because, um, you know, this is a damaging thing for a kid to learn. And you know, to you know what's, do you know what's most damaging potentially about it? This kid could be gay. He's 10 years old. I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. It is entirely possible and not unheard of by any means that, that this kid is learning self-loathing as well as hatred of, of other LGBT people. So, I mean, uh, uh, this is a, this is a really, uh, important thing. And, and frankly, uh, I think it's worth, uh, putting up a, a little bit of a fight for and, and, and certainly taking that risk because, uh, this is going to affect him for a very long time. And if he should turn out to be a gay or lesbian, bisexual or transgender, uh, uh, it, it is going to take him decades to dig out of this. She was, you know, her concern, and it's a, it's a legitimate concern. She was worried about, you know, how his attitudes might impact others or impact his interactions with other people who might be queer. And she says her own sister is a lesbian. And I think she should definitely bring that up with her son that, you know, your aunt is a lesbian. But I think I agree with Eugene. The most material uh, point here is that the person most at risk of a negative outcome from all this bullshit he's learning is himself. That you, mom, you have to step up to protect your child because there is, what, a 3%, an 8%, a 9% chance that your kid is queer. And the stuff that he's learning now could play out later in life with drug abuse, with self-abuse, with you know overindulging in sex or uh, suicide attempts. Like homophobia and this kind of religious-based Jesus-hates-me homophobia really hurts queer people when they, when they buy into it before they realize they're queer people. And if he's 10 years Absolutely. old and he has not hit puberty yet, by the time he realizes he's queer, if he's been allowed to eat all this bullshit, it could really harm your kid. And when he gets to be 35 years old and has his own son, uh, who turns out to be queer, uh, look at the damage he's going to do to this woman's grandchild. And, and if this all figures into that. It is shaping him either as an LGBT person himself or uh, uh, quite possibly uh, the father to an LGBT person. And, I mean, this, this literally could have generations of effects. Okay, so just as, a, you know, for sake of argument, let's say he's a really precocious 10-year-old kid that he can cite chapter and verse, and he throws out there one of the clobber verses from the Bible, the Leviticus, the Romans, the Timothy, and, you know, a man should not lie with a man as he should lie with a woman. They both committed abomination. They should be put to death. Mom, it says that right there in the Bible. Gene Robinson, Bishop Gene Robinson, it says that right there in the Bible. What's the response when somebody throws that out on the table? Well, if an adult throws it out, or I suppose a, a precocious kid, I would say that we always have to consider Scripture in the context in which it was written. We're dealing with a two to three thousand year old text uh, in the case of Leviticus, closer to three thousand, and we are dealing with a uh, text in which words mean differently than what they mean today. Uh, Dan Helminiak, uh, an author on this topic, has a great example where he talks about picking up. Um, a novel in the year 3000 that was written in the year 2000, but the game of baseball has been lost in that thousand-year period, and yet the novel describes someone as being out in left field. And knowing nothing about the game of baseball, you would think you would knew what that phrase meant, because you know what left is and you know what a field is. But unless you know the game of baseball, 
you don't understand that a, that a left fielder has become a, a kind of metaphor for being out of the loop and isolated. So the meaning of words change. And in order to understand what the words of Scripture mean, uh, you, have, you have to go back to the context in which they were written. And the bottom line is, what those seven clobber verses are talking about are simply not what we are talking about today. The whole notion of sexual orientation is only about 140 years old. And you can't take a modern-day um, psychological construct like that and plug it back into an ancient text and pretend that we're talking about the same thing. Bishop Gene Robinson, retired Episcopal Bishop of New Hampshire, now working as a senior fellow at the Center of American Progress, a Washington, D.C. think tank, and also a really good friend of mine. Gene, thank you so much for jumping on the phone today. I appreciate it so much. It's been great fun. Thanks so much. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audiobooks are great to listen to when you're driving, stuck in traffic, or doing chores around the house. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is God Believes in Love, Straight Talk About Gay Marriage, written by Gene Robinson, narrated by the right reverend. Gene Robinson. It's got four and a half stars at Audible. Gene is a smart and compassionate guy. It's a good book. It's a great read. And if you want to try out Audible services, you can get Gene to read it to you for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Uh, I just have something I'd love to get your advice on. My husband and I have been married for three years uh, and together for about six. And we recently decided to start practicing polyamory. Um, It wasn't, you know, to fix anything or anything like that. It's just because we both thought it sounded fun and we have a lot of love to give. So we decided to do that. And it's been going really great. We both have other partners. Um, He has a boyfriend who he really enjoys spending time with um, and who I'm actually friends with. Uh, And then I also have a boyfriend and I guess you could call her a girlfriend. She's more of a play partner. Um, But anyway, so everything seems to be going really well. Uh, The only issue is that my husband and my boyfriend, who um, I'm pretty committed to, my boyfriend as well as my husband, have started sort of being sort of sexually attracted to each other. And that totally makes sense. They're both really hot guys. <laughs> but I am sort of feeling a lot of jealousy around that. Um, you know, I don't want them to be together. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I don't really have jealousy in any other ways. You know, like they both have other partners and I don't experience jealousy about any of those. It's just the two of them being together. I don't know. Um, it just brings up something in me. And I've sort of talked to them both about it and, you know, they're both cool with not doing anything, but, um, you know, cause they're super great guys again, but, um, I don't know. I just feel, it makes me feel bad to have those feelings, you know, to have that sort of apprehension about the two of them being together because if they want to, why shouldn't they? So I'm just wondering what you think about that, where you think that might be coming from and if you think there's anything I can sort of do to make myself feel a little better about it. I'm not sure what to tell you to do if I were in your position, I would just want to watch him fuck. But that's just me. It seems to me that, you know, if we peel back the layers here and try to figure out what's going on, I I can only speculate as to what's going on in your head. But your boyfriend is yours. Your husband is yours. If your boyfriend and your husband were to get together and they had 
a tighter connection than you have with your boyfriend, you could lose your boyfriend to your husband. So it's just kind of plain old regular jealousy and fear. It's just complicated by this idea that if you're poly and everybody has other partners, that jealousy is not something that you should experience or that it's somehow contrary to the whole poly idea and the poly self-conception, that poly means you've unpicked the lock of jealousy. And that's not true. You have a boyfriend. Your boyfriend is yours. There's a certain kind of natural possessiveness and desire to own that comes with that and that you also have a husband who you possess isn't – doesn't mean you can't experience this desire to possess your boyfriend and have him to be all for you and the prospect of sharing your all-for-you boyfriend with your all-for-you husband who isn't all for you because he has other partners just as you're not all for him because you have other partners is tripping some wire for you that can seem when you examine the whole spectrum of what's going on here a little irrational but love is a little irrational and I think what you should do is just – Keeping honest with all involved about your feelings, except that they do seem to be a little bit irrational. But what we get from our lovers and our partners, I think, what we have a right to expect, one of the reasons we love them is that this is somebody who loves us enough and values us enough that they are willing to accommodate our reasonable irrationalities and insecurities. So if these two together are willing to say, despite our established attraction, we are going to regard each other as kryptonite and off limits because we love you so much and we're both going to prioritize your insecurities and irrationalities here to make you feel secure and comfortable, take those yeses for an answer. They're both saying yes, yes. We're not lying to you about the about us being attracted to each other. We are attracted to each other, but we're going to prioritize you and your feelings and not act on it. And then who knows? Tiptoe up to it. Who knows? Maybe you can at some point as you become more comfortable with your connection with your boyfriend and your ongoing connection with your husband to allow them to play, maybe in your presence, maybe while you watch, or maybe they just each get to play with you at the same time and not touch each other. You can harness those feelings of jealousy and insecurity sometimes for their erotic power and potential. If you are the block that prevents them from being with each other, you can role play that out in a sexual scenario that might make being that block seem like something fun and sexy that you can add to the mix instead of it feeling like something unfun and unsexy and antithetical to the whole poly idea. Just spitballing it here. Good luck. Hi, this is for uh, the caller, the married woman, whose husband is tearing up her pussy every time he eats her out. Uh, bleeding raw labia sounds horribly painful and not like the smallest little thing. You know, Dan, you basically told her to tiptoe around her husband's ego in fear of being treated sexually unequal again, when the fact of the matter is that neither of them had any way of knowing that his beard was going to do that to her pussy. The logistics of that has nothing to do with anyone's ego, and it shouldn't be treated like it does. If her husband cares about her, he should not want oral sex to result in painful, bleeding labia, she should tell him that she's been dealing with daily bleeding abrasions on the most sensitive part of her body in fear of him going back to treating her sexually unequal again. And see what he has to say about that. 
Rather than treating him like a victim who made the teensiest, weensiest mistake, which A, is not realistic, and B, asks zero empathy of him. Hi, this is a comment for the 35-year-old lady from Texas who's having her reproductive canal eroded by her husband's beard stubble which is a kind of a cool look that you shouldn't have to get rid of. So the ideas of shaving our beard are not the best. My three solutions from most expensive to least expensive are get a Mexican wrestler's mask. It's all set. Very attractive. A ski mask or go to Goodwill, buy a turtleneck, pull it up under your ears and cut a hole in it for your tongue. Hi, my name's Hannah. I actually don't have a question. I wanted to tell you a really quick story. I was on the bus this morning listening to your podcast, and it was an episode about consensual anal sex. I had my headphones plugged in, and it was a totally silent bus at 7 a.m. in Australia, and it was packed with business people, and actually sat there for the entire bus ride and listened to your podcast, and you were quite vocal, and it was amazing. And then I got off the bus, and I realized that my headphone jack wasn't actually plugged in, and I had been playing on speaker to an entire bus full of people your podcast about consensual anal sex. And I kept wondering why everybody was staring at me for the bus ride, and that turned out to be why. Before we go, I want to apologize to the furry community. Last week or a couple weeks ago, we took a call from someone concerned about a young friend who is doing uh, commissioned drawings of furry sex scenarios for strangers on the internet. And I used the term ferverts over and over again, furry and pervert, fervert. And apparently this is an anti-furry slur. I'd only ever heard it used by furries affectionately. And so that's the way I was using it. I've, you've heard me call myself a pervert on the show a million times. I am pro pervert. So my apologies to any furries out there who were fur hurt by that comment. It'll never come out of my mouth again. Also, uh, quickly looking at Twitter, Paul Research at Paul Research writes, I spend my spare time stripping wallpaper off the ceiling to the accompaniment of fake Dan Savage's Savage Lovecast. It helps. Hashtag steam. Happy to help Paul. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow the right Reverend Gene Robinson on Twitter at Bishop G. Robinson. And check out Rabbi Gerber's blog, Take on Torah, at takeontorah.blogspot.com. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 